Philadelphia was a city that was specifically built as a missionary city. Okay, not by Christians, but by Greeks who thought that all those people in the backwoods, all those rubes in Asia just needed some culture and we'll go build an outpost of Greek culture amongst them and then teach them what's right in their world. You know, that works really well. Everybody likes it when, when the colonializing spirit just comes in on top of them and says, your way's right and our way is wrong. We just love that when people do that, don't we? But that's what uh, Philadelphia was about. But it had a couple of problems, and you'll see these in the spot. It was really close to essentially what we would call a fault line, or it was like built on top of the San Andreas Fault of Asia. And people, this, this is what it was like that they had often earthquakes, often, so much so, here's one quote from a commentary, many people out of fear left the city every night. Because if it happens when you're asleep, it's not gonna, you're, you don't have time to get out of the city. This flight, frightened rhythm of flight and return had become part of their lives. Have you ever been, um, if you ever felt so insecure in your life that, that that's all you could do is just worry about where you were going to go, where you were going to be safe, and then you come back and you just kind of leave? Have you ever been in a spot where that's all you could concentrate on is what was the problem and how to be safe? We face this in our world today. I know... Um, Lots of people have something like this in their life, but it's like food. If you're hungry, you don't think about anything but food until you have food. It's one of the reasons why we work so hard on the friendship feast here on Monday and the summer food programs and all those things are about taking care of that basic need in the same way that the schools have free and reduced lunch programs and feed them breakfasts as part of that because students that come to school don't think about anything until they have food. Then they can learn, so they can't do that. So this is the situation as we read this. Let me get to this spot. But here we are in Philadelphia, a town that is rocked by earthquakes regularly. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, who has the key to David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. Okay, so there's an illusion. Just want you to understand that that's an illusion to the kingdom of God that they have, as you, as we'll see in this letter. There's a disagreement between the Christians and the Jews on who are the people of God. And if you are a child of David or, or under the throne of David, you are part of the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying here. This is the one who has the key of David who opens a door no one can close and closes what no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you so that no one can close it. You have little strength, and yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow at your feet, and they will acknowledge that you are the ones I love." 
So, so when I talk about that, the keys of David and opening the closing of the door, you can totally see this argument. If, if Jesus is the heir to the throne of David and is sitting on David's throne and has that and you're his people, the other people that say her, he's there, he's theirs and they are his, don't get to say, well, we're in and you're out. The one on the throne says who's in and out. Do you understand where that comes from? Good. I saw some heads going up and down. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the greatest time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. There's an illusion there. I hope to get to it later, but I need to make sure I take, take some time here. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Okay, so I need to focus on this open door. There's there's two allusions to him opening doors that no one can open and closing doors no one can close. And then he says, I've opened a door before you. And there's two thoughts here that what this might mean, and I need you to hear them both. One is, as Paul says throughout um, Acts and or um, I'm sorry, Paul is in Acts 14, 27. He says, let's pray that God will open a door for his word through us to go out. And that matches what's going on in Colossians 4, where it says, pray that the word will have an opening in our world. But there's also the thought that he has opened a gate, which we read about in Hebrews, that was previously not open to us. And that is the way of salvation. Now, some of you might go, why did he have us read that, that whole thing in Hebrews this morning? Because the old way of sacrifice, I need you to hear this really clearly, that through all that ceremonial code and all that, there was no forgiveness ever for intentional sin. Let me say that again. Throughout the whole Old Testament, if you did it on purpose, there's no cleansing. Now, if you made a mistake, you forgot something, bad things happen, that sort of thing, there's some cleansing for that. But you went out and God said, don't do it, and you did it. There's no cleansing in the Hebrew code for that. And that's what the Hebrews thing says. But also that the way to the holy of holies of God was not yet open. And so I need to talk to you about this because which door is it? The one for salvation or the one for mission that Jesus opens and closes before us? The answer is yes. But in a particular order. Because you might want to go out on mission but you don't have the Spirit guiding you, and that mission will not work. 
And so it's in a particular order. What's the order? The mission comes after the Spirit inside you and the Spirit's guidance. Now, how does the Spirit get inside you? We've talked about this at length throughout these letters, that when you love Jesus and ask him into your heart, he, because he died on the cross, and as we get further into the book of Revelation, there's this scroll and it has these seven seals on it. Well, that is an allusion to a Roman will, a last will and testament. And the problem is, is what happens with wills while the person that's in charge of that will or that will is written for, what happens with that will during their lifetime? Nothing. For a will to take effect, the person that writes it has to die so that the heirs can receive what's given. Jesus is the owner of this planet. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And he dies so that we can have what's in the will that he's given us. Well, what has he given us? Life. Specifically, in the spirit of God given inside of us to protect us and keep us on the path and give us the ability to get there. So in this case... If you want to be secure in your salvation and you want to do this, then I need you to understand that when you come to Jesus and he puts the spirit inside of you, it's really specifically a guarantee from God that what he promised will happen. But it's not the only guarantee. Don't you like guarantees when you go to the store and buy things? Money back guarantee. We were joking about it at the yard sale the other day. The guarantee of everything working sort of stops at the, at the cash box. That's not the guarantee that God is giving, that when you start the process, the Spirit is inside you to teach you into all that is good, right? That is what the other counselor does. He will lead you to remember everything I've taught you and lead you into all that is good. That is the guarantee of the new life. Now, the other guarantee is this other spot that Jesus, through the sacrifice of his own blood, entered not the earthly picture of the Holy of Holies, but the most holy place in heaven. And his presence there is a guarantee that we have an advocate in heaven for us that that we have forgiveness. Now, lots of times in that picture... You, you get it presented this way, that Jesus is forever in heaven as an advocate for us, which we take to think means that he's always going, oh, he did it again. Can you forgive him this time? Have you ever heard it, felt it that way? That's kind of how it's presented when we just read it in English and we understand that I'm going to blow it continually throughout my life and Jesus is forever my advocate. So every time I blow it, he's in there going, oh, can you forgive him this time? Can you forgive him this time? Forgive him this time, God. But that is not what's going on in the scripture. What's going on in the scripture is that Jesus has opened the way for us to eternal life by his sacrifice once and for all. And the approval of that sacrifice has him ever in the presence of God as a guarantee that the sacrifice has been accepted for all our sins. That's a way bigger picture 
than Jesus dodging around trying to take care of each of our individual sins as they happen. He's already handled it once and for all. But we have to get that door open and get us through that door first. So here's the example. I just want you to know this. We're a Wesleyan church. The Methodists are Wesleyan. Is that language you're used to hearing? Wesley and John Wesley. So John Wesley's story is a basically a two-part story. He was a he was a pastor in Georgia. Many people don't know this. He was in a pastor in Georgia, and he was engaged to be married. And his uh, his fiance decided she didn't want to be married, and then he decided to not give her communion because you know that's what uh, people on earth sort of do you rank, you wronged me and i wronged you back and blah 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 but the problem was that her dad was the magistrate of the area and the magistrate can throw people in jail and so john wesley after a few years of failed ministry in georgia fled the americas did you know this part of john wesley's history on the boat back he met the Moravians who led him to Christ, not just as a head thing, but as a heart thing. And he had this strange warming of his heart as the Holy Spirit came inside of him. He tried to do mission before he got through the salvation part of his life. Everything else we know about John Wesley happens after that moment, this huge influx and change in it and and he gets to the spot where he's preaching throughout England after returning from the Americas. And he's preaching in the cemeteries for two reasons. One, some of the current priests won't let him in because they're worried about how on fire everything is getting. And, you know, we're English and we're all buttoned down and we have to have control of all this situation. So there's some of that. And I'm the pastor of this place and you're not. So stay away. And the other reason he's in the cemeteries is, is this. At the time in England, there's about one chair in the churches for every thousand people. The crowds are too big for the churches. Do we pray for an open door for the gospel to work through us? And then, but we haven't taken care of that salvation bit. This is what this is, okay? So I'm into my toolbox here, and I have this tool. How many of you know what this is? You ever use one of these? What, what, what do we use it for? Holding Webster down. I don't use it for holding Webster down. But Dad might use it for holding Webster down. I use this in my truck to hold things securely. So here's the deal. This, this tool works like this, that if you want to go out and do things for God, the, the first thing you do is you secure yourself with a strap that is salvation. You secure yourself with a guarantee of the Father gives us because Jesus is in the throne room forever making intercession for us approved by God as a guarantee that the sacrifice is accepted. And the Holy Spirit is the other end of that, tying that connection down to us, inside of us, teaching us what we need to know and leading us along the way. That is the security strap that you need. And once you get connected with that, you don't move, you're rock solid. 
Now you are ready to go out and be part of the open door for the gospel of God within us. First, Jesus is the door, the gatekeeper that we all come through and go through. But once we go through that, he works through us in the world. You're a missionary place, but if you don't get this down, he's literally saying to these people in Philadelphia here, let me read the rest of this quote. I am your security. I am your unshakable foundation. This is to people who are rocked by earthquakes all the time. In all your going and coming, your fleeing and returning, I remain the same. My presence with you is not disturbed by geological or economic or political disorder. Are we uh, disturbed by geologic, economic, or political disorder every so often? None of, none of us here ever get our, our water sort of troubled by things like that, do they? Maybe, um, maybe physical health or, or um, economic concerns within our household or or whatever it is that you think is important, it just rocks our world, doesn't it? Except if we get this connection to God correct, which means we ask Jesus into our heart, and then Jesus ever lives in the most holy place as a guarantee that that's going to work, and the Spirit ever lives within us as a guarantee that's going to work, and you're rock solid. And what he means here, even beyond that, is I'm going to put a pillar in the house of my God with your name on it. Well, we don't use pillars nowadays, but every so often we go by, by places and pillars of the community get statues with a little name plaque on them. Do you, does that make sense? That's what he's saying. Look, you're going to be the ones in the temple of God and your name is going to be one on one of those pillars that holds up the, the temple of God because you've held on to me. And I'm going to put your name on it. And I'm going to put my name on you. Well, what happens? Have you ever seen Jesus name anybody ever? Well, they had one name and they got another name. Did you ever see that in the Bible? Um, Cephas. It's a very Greek name, by the way. He's given Peter. Or Levi is given Matthew. Whenever the Bible starts renaming people, Abraham, Abram. Jerusalem, uh, uh, Isaac and Israel, you know that he is doing a founding work for the kingdom of God in that place. Well, if he's writing on you his name and your name in heaven, that brings all this cool stuff together about how permanently you're connected and how you're then free to go out in the world and do his work, not your work, his work. That was John Wesley's problem. John Wesley thought that he had to go into the world and do his work, and so he came to Georgia to do this thing, but he didn't know God. He knew about God, but he didn't know him. It was on the way back from that trip that he had this strange warming in his heart. But when he got back to England, his brother, who'd also been hooked up with the Morovians, Monrovians, um, had a strange warming in his heart at the same time, and they came back, and they were going, I met this Jesus. And these, Can you imagine going to your brother that you've known for years and years and going, I met this Jesus through these people, 
that their witness was so amazing. I've never heard anything like it. And his brother goes, yeah, me too. And then the world, God set the world on fire at that time through that group of people, didn't he? John, uh, not John Wesley, but uh, his brother wrote hundreds and thousands of songs for God. Charles. And John preached every day, almost every day for the next 50 or 60 years. I think of that. I think of the amount of energy that it takes me to come up here and preach twice a week. And those of you, those of you who've been up here, you've been up in front of a group of people. Does it take energy out of you to do that? Or do you feel like you've been wrung out at the end of the day? Like somebody took the dishcloth that's kind of your body and just went, just squeezed everything out of you. Yeah, John Wesley did that five to seven times a week for the next 50 years. That is life and life to the full. But there's a problem here. I need you to know this. There's this thing that he goes like this. He says this. I know that you don't have any strength or you have very little strength. I need you to hear this. Whether you're on mission for God or whatever you're doing, it's not about your strength. It's about God's strength in you. Because I could get up here and do this a little bit, and I kind of run out of energy for it after a while, and I just kind of peter out and be all done. But in God's strength, I have energy to do this continually because I'm drawing from a bigger tank than is in my vehicle. The Spirit of God in me to do this. The problem, here's, here's the thing though. If you've done this first thing and you're connected to God and you're solid and you're not out on mission, do you know what fishermen do when fishermen don't fish? And it's not working? They argue and fight and they lie and they do all this stuff. <laughs> That's kind of the picture of what happens to a church when the church is connected to God, but it's not doing the work. It sort of turns inside on itself. And you might have, you might think, but we're kind of come back and have this little holy huddle and I just love my church and this is the only place where I feel God working and I do this thing. Great! Come! Be part of the church. You need to do that. You need to come together and be strengthened. But, but a church group, not a building, a church, is a group of people that continually gather to strengthen and scatter to do the work and gather and scatter and gather and scatter. And the work of God isn't only within this building because this building is in a community and in a country and in a world. When we step into this building, we are not off the planet. Do you ever think about that? You don't step through those doors and suddenly we're not on the same planet and you, and I don't have to think about that anymore. No, you are on earth all this time, even when you're in this building. And so you need to go out and pray that God's word will have an open door through you for his work and that you'll be doing it. Otherwise you'll turn in on yourselves and start complaining about things to each other that really have no, you don't complain about slivers. You take them out and then they're gone. 
Let me say that again. Who's had a sliver? Who's had a sliver? Did you just leave it in? Sometimes. You dig a hole if he has to. And my brother used to say that he'd tra- trade a thousand wood slivers for a metal, for a metal sliver, because the metal slivers are hard. And they just, they're awful. But here's the thing. If we turn in on ourselves, then all those slivers just fester. And we take care of that work of getting to know God and being, understanding who we are. And then we go out in the world and all that stuff gets taken care of. We just deal with it and get it out of the way because we are his people and it's a missionary city. And in the end, it's not about our strength. There's about 15 things else I can say, but before I move on from this and before I pray, is there any question in your mind about how the door to mission work or work within our, our world is started? It started within us. And as we are secure, we are no longer worried about coming and going and whether or not we're in the kingdom of God. Once we recognize that we're secure that way, then we start to work outwards. Just like a school lunch program for kids that are hungry. If they're gonna learn, you gotta give them some food, you take care of that need, they're ready to learn. Anything? Great. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the word of your love and your heart that gets poured into us. I thank you for the way you've poured it into me. I hope that it just slops out of me wherever I go onto people around me, that I will be an open door for your word. I also pray that this church and each individual person of this church, wherever they go, would be an open door for your word because they are your people. In your precious name, amen.